Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 44. So we start a new chapter in our verse-by-verse study in Genesis. Uh, this has been, this is our 57th uh, Bible study in Genesis. I didn't look back to see when we started, but we take our time uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Our title for the message is Time and Testing Brings Brokenness. Time and Testings Bring Brokenness. This section, this last part of Genesis, is one of the most emotional sections in all the Bible. It's very, there's so many moving moments that are before us as Joseph is reunited with his brothers, as Joseph eventually reunited with his dad, as God gets the final word. Remember, church, God gets the final word in your story. It's being written out. You don't know how the, what the future holds in this situation or what next year is going to bring or if God will resolve this situation the way you want, the way you hope. But you got to understand this. However things go today, tomorrow, next year, God gets the final word. And you can trust him, as we'll learn in Genesis 50, verse 20, as, as Joseph's looking at his brothers, and he says, you know, you meant this for evil. It was real evil in your hearts against me. But God has turned it around for good, for his purposes. Joseph, here in chapter 44, by way of reminder, has risen from the pit to the palace. His life has been filled with one difficult thing after another. And what made it worse, which is true in your life and mine in some instances, that it wasn't because of his own bad decisions. It wasn't because of his own sin. He's suffering deeply all this. In this case, the whole trajectory was laid before him because of the sins of his brothers. It wasn't his. Now, there was a little pride in him as he was sharing uh, the dreams and such, but the direct consequence came from his brother's decisions. Yet, the backdrop, though, is what? God spared his life. He wasn't going to die. They were going to take him out, and yet God spared his life because every life matters. From conception to very last breath, every life matters. All the way along. And the church stands for righteousness. And here his life was spared, even though, like, I know there are those listening in, this is their story. Different names, different situations. It was filled with pains and sorrows at every turn. But God is using Joseph and weaving together a tapestry that when all is said and done in his life, Joseph will see and understand. He doesn't see and understand right now. He's getting, it's becoming clearer and clearer, but he's not quite there yet. Even though the whole picture is not revealed, it's revealed little by little. You know, I think in our life, there's situations where it's just impossible to see anything good. I mean, you could look at every angle, you can pick it up, turn upside down, you can walk around, you can ask everyone's opinion, and there's just nothing good to see. There's just nothing redeemable in our minds. Part of the problem is, is that we don't see what God sees. 
We don't know how the piece fits. The piece itself maybe be ugly, but it's an important part of the puzzle. You're not going to finish the puzzle without it. It's the kind of piece that you don't want to drop on the floor, you don't want to lose, because it's the integral part that puts everything together, makes everything make sense. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, we've, this seems to be a theme verse lately. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says through the prophet. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. Time and testing reveals. Time and testing reveals and waiting strengthens us. Waiting on the Lord strengthens us. Remember Peter, and jot it down in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Listen, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you don't see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I mean, we just heard that, but, but can you imagine that your faith is going to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Like we, in our minds, when we're in the presence of Jesus, raptured up, we're in his presence, it's all about him. It really, it's going to be all about, we're going to be blown away. We're just like, I can't, this is amazing. Some of you are like, I made it. <laughs> and some of you go, you made it? You know, it's like, it's just going to be like, we're, we're going to be amazed by the presence of God. And yet at the same time, in the manifest perfect sovereign will of God there, your faith is going to be on display through all the trials that you've endured now and it's going to bring him glory. Your faith, my faith. It's hard to believe because we don't see what God sees. We don't understand his ways like he does. Although over time, we begin to understand a little better. Over time and testings and getting through a few things, we have a little more understanding. It's not complete understanding, but yeah, I can see now. God got me through that one. He can get me through this one. And I can see now that that was hard and, and, and I can see my faith grew through it. You don't see it in the middle of it, but you see it, you can look back and go, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. God, God's plan for you is good. God's plan for us is good. What he's trying to do in our lives through trials and tribulations is to bring us to that place of rejoicing in him to bring us to that place of the end of ourselves. He, he doesn't need to bring us to a place to, of, to the end of ourselves if we remain at the end of ourselves, like we were at the moment of salvation. We were at the end of ourselves. It was, that was it. I knew nothing else. And maybe you were raised in a godly home and you came to that place of a crisis in faith. You were at the end of yourself. I can either go to the left and walk away from everything I've ever known, the way I was raised, or I can press in onto the right. Or for many of us that got saved later, like, man, it was the end. There was no alternative. Like, either continue the way you're going, Ed, and destroy your life early, die an early death, or you take this route and receive the love of Christ. If we stay there, abide there in Christ, it wouldn't be necessary to bring us to the end of ourselves. 
But because we're human, we find ourselves always being brought back, looking to him, bringing us, God does, to that place of gladness and exceeding joy. Trials, the trying of our faith, it proves us, it refines us, and it works in us. And one day, you'll be able to say, if you're not already able, I'm a better man and I'm a better woman because of that trial. (laughs) You can say my faith is stronger because of that trial. My perspective is different because of that trial. The same one you want to get out of, the same one you want to run away from, the same one that you're upset, the same one that you've taken things into your own hands, when all is said and done, we'll be able to look back and go, oh, my faith really is genuine because I was beginning to doubt that for a while. I wasn't sure I was going to make it. Not sure that was something I could survive. That's Joseph here. and We all have our own Joseph stories. You'll remember a worldwide famine uh, moved Jacob to send his sons to Egypt outside of Jacob's control. As they came to Egypt, they heard that there was some grain that was stored up, so they were sent to get it by the, by the kids. The boys were sent to get it uh, by their dad where they'd get what was needed to survive. They'd end up meeting Joseph three times, and Joseph takes them through three separate tests his own personal test. But I really believe, and we'll look at a couple of them, one by review and one today, but I really believe the big test was given to Joseph. The same big test that you and I face from time to time. It's the test of forgiveness. That's the big test. Will he forgive his brothers for the rotten consequences of their sinful decisions that he bore on his own shoulders and his own life. The years that he lost that could never come back. Would you turn over now in Matthew chapter 18, flip over there with me. I want you to see this, mark it up in your Bible. Matthew chapter 18, the real test is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the hallmark of Christianity. It's the essence of unconditional love. You see, love is easy when you like the person, when they like you, when everything's going well and fine and good, but what about those who hate you and despitefully use you and take you to court and come against you and rip you off and lie about you and despise you? What about them? Well, notice in Matthew chapter 18, notice in verse 21, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and kids and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, forgave the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. (laughs) And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, please have patience with me, I'll pay you all. And He would not, but went and threw him in prison until he could pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw 
what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. Who was the wicked servant? The unforgiving one. The one that was forgiven so much. And yet threw this guy in jail and ruined his family for far less debt. You wicked servant, I forgave you. Verse 32, all that debt because you begged me. Should you also not have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And here's the conclusion. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers his trespasses. That last conclusion is a difficult one that you try to explain away, but don't, don't don't try to explain it away. And don't worry if you don't fully understand it. And don't be too concerned if it goes up against some things that you already believe. Just let it sit there. It's the same when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, you be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, you know, we can explain that away with all kinds of theological language and we can say this and what perfect and what the Greek word is. And that's fine and good. But before you even get there, just let the verse sit there for a minute. Just receive it. See how the Holy Spirit wants to use it in your life before you explain it away to something that doesn't have any power to it. It's powerful. Jesus would say later in Matthew, or earlier in Matthew chapter five and verse 43, you have heard that it's said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, I know what you've heard. I know what you've been taught. I know what the rabbis are saying. I know what the synagogues are filled with. I get it with the temple mount. I understand all that, but I'm telling you, Love your, na- love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you might be sons of your Father in heaven. It's a relational. Forgiveness is relational. And you know how our kids pick up the characteristics of growing up with us and being trained by us, discipled, raised by us. This is the characteristic of your Father in heaven big forgiveness, huge forgiveness, broader and bigger than our minds can even conceive. And that's why we look up the language and we explain it away and we look and it's like, no, just just be a son, be a daughter of your father. Let that spirit work in you, gentleness and peace and love. Well, with that in mind, we left off last time with the brothers sitting in an arranged order according to the birth as Joseph was throwing a party and he lined it all up. Joseph sees Benjamin and begins to weep uncontrollably controllably, and he gives little Benjamin a serving that's five times larger. That was the first test. He was testing to see if they've changed. Are they still insanely jealous? Are they despising Rachel's son? And notice in verse one, he commanded the steward of his house saying, this is chapter 44 now, Fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. He gives them the grain, gives them their money back. This time he puts a special cup in Benjamin's sack And at dawn they go away, Joseph was setting them up. Verse four. And when they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? 
Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and from which he indeed practices divination? You've done evil in so doing. He overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us. Your servants would do such a thing. Joseph sends his steward after them to get that cup. And he, it's, a, it's a complete setup from Joseph. He's working now an arrangement from his position of authority to bring about reconciliation, to bring about tests in his brother's hearts. He knows, they don't know, remember, to see what, what he's dealing with and what the possibilities are. Here, I want to point out to you in verse 5, a place of contention for many of the critics of the Bible, where it says in verse 5 uh, that that drink, that silver cup was his divination cup. And many will come here and ascribe to Joseph uh, this false worship, like he became an Egyptian and he worshiped like an Egyptian and he lived like an Egyptian and he was an idolater. Let me clear it up from the text for you. Let me clear this up for the, for, for, from the text. This is one of the advantages, by the way, of going through the Bible and reading the whole chapter and studying it verse by verse, studying the entire book, following it all along instead of just showing up at one verse and making a comment on it. Because when you're studying through the Bible, especially characters in the Bible, men and women in the Bible, you have what God's revealed to us about them. And you see their character and the essence of their behavior. So that when a verse like this pops up, you go, well, the servant's just saying it. It may have been a divination cup, but it doesn't mean that Joseph used it that way. And how can we say that? Well, Joseph was in no way an idolater. His whole life is pointed in an opposite direction. His whole life. Nowhere in the Bible is it found or expressed that he was an idolater and used this cup. Um, You know, this guy says he did, but there's no evidence that he did. We know him because we've studied his life. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of honesty. He's truly a man of God. Not only that, Joseph was a prophet of God. He got his word directly from God. He didn't need to go into the Egyptian arts or to the occult. He received word directly, living a surrendered life. He didn't need to, nor he wanted, did he want to mess around with the occult. I suggest to you today that the silver cup was just a prop that would stir up the brothers and be used in such a way to really get their attention. It was a cup that the Egyptian rulers used for divination and it would have startled and shocked these God worshipers to have it and to think they took something so important or they had something that was so important. And really, they really thought this would also give some kind of indication that would show some kind of power in Joseph where they really thought that Joseph could see more than he could see and put them in a place of testing. Notice again in verse seven, it says, and they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants would do such a thing. You know, basically in verse seven, they're going, we're so innocent, we've never done anything wrong in our whole life. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sack, uh, the mouth of our sacks, and that's true because they have changed over the years. That is true. They did bring it back, but they brought it back more out of fear than anything. And how could we then steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's 
slaves. I wrote a little note here as I was uh, studying, just a little note to remind me, Ed, be careful what you say. Be very slow to speak, is what James said. Be careful what you say. They really, the brothers think they're in control and they are not in control at all. Are you sure you guys want someone to die? You want another brother to die over this? Are you sure? Is that really what you want? Are you sure you want to commit to be slaves? They're so confident in their honesty that they say something that they'll soon regret. It is in James chapter one and verse 19, it says for us in the new covenant. So then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 10, and he said, now also let it be according to your words, he with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack and he searched and began with the oldest and left off with the youngest and the cup was found where? Benjamin's sack. Mm. This is one of those verses that you wish the Bible was read with sound. Because this is deep drama here. Can you, can you imagine the feeling of their heart sinking? It's all happening in the moment. We're reading verse by verse, kind of looking at it, but this is all happening in the moment. Benjamin, no way, no way, no way. Verse 13, then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. You might want to circle verse 13 or you might want to highlight it or jot a note next to it, but verse 13 is, is evidence that the men have matured. They may not be as far as they want to be, they may not be as mature as they want to be. They may not even realize it in their own lives. But this is a different response. This is different. They're no longer plotting and upset at a favored son. They're beginning to express deep, deep emotion. They tear their clothes in mourning. And they head back discouraged. The first test, as we saw in the last chapter, was favoritism as he was giving the extra helpings. This second test was fondness and a test on whether they loved their brother. Would they care if he died? Would they care if he became a slave? 20 years ago, they didn't care. 20 years ago, they were on the other end of manipulating circumstances. They didn't care about their dad. And by the way, we're gonna to learn tonight that what happened with Joseph and the response of Jacob is still just as real today as it was when it happened. You'll see in the rest. If you read ahead, you see the emotion in this chapter. It's heavy. 20 years ago, there were different men. They were happy with two shekels apiece. It's what it amounted to for the life of Joseph. And now the brothers are brought at a crossroads. Do they leave Benjamin and go home? So what? Dad's gonna old, he's gonna die anyway. He's already grieving. What's more grieving? So what? We can save our own lives. No. They decided to go back to Egypt. Pay the price. So Judah, verse 14, and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there and they fell before him on the ground and Joseph said, 
What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I certainly practiced divination? Now you can see why he used the cup. Then Judah said, what shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. They're standing in the gap. They're wearied and worried. And Joseph just lays it on heavier with that authoritative, no doubt, voice and presence. Didn't you know how important this cup was to me? I bet you did. And of all the things you chose to steal from me, you chose that? Now, by now, his brothers, they're exasperated. What can they say? Verse 16, again, it says, Judah, what are we going to say? What are we going to say? Verse 17, far be it from me that I should do so, but the man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as you, as for you, you can go home. Go, to peace, go, to, go in peace to your father. It was just, again, this is the uh, advantage of going through the Bible. It was just 20 years earlier that Judah said this. Remember, in Genesis 37, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he's our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Now, he didn't want to kill him, but he was willing to sell his brother. Let's just sell him. Let's not kill him, spare his life, but we don't need him anymore. Finally, we see the guilt of selling Joseph beginning to arise. Their iniquity was found out as we spent a considerable amount of time in the whole process being warned and exhorted in previous studies that be sure your sin will find you out. It's not, only, it's not always some grand revelation. At times it comes out in spaces. At times it comes out with people and circumstances and things come to light. It's coming out in, the, in this immediate context, but they know, they know they didn't steal anything. They know that. But at the same time, they knew they were guilty. We saw that in David's life, remember, when Nathan came to him with the story and he gave a murder, he gave a death penalty for something that didn't deserve a death penalty. Why? Because he deserved the death penalty. And he knew it. And he lived with it because guilt and shame, it'll just eat you up from the inside. It's just so much better, church, to come clean before the Lord. He's ready to forgive you, to repent of your sins and to forsake them and to come back to God in a way that will yield your life. You don't carry this stuff. It destroys you. You're never going to be what God intended for you to be with unconfessed sin. You're never going to be, your marriage is not going to be, you're not going to be, you're not going to receive the fullness of the Lord if you're hiding sin, if you're purposely ignoring it, if you're pretending it never happened, if because you haven't been found out, you think it's okay. It's always better to come clean before God and come clean before the people that you need to come clean. It starts with God first and then with others. Here they are. God's allowed to live, God has allowed them to live with it for 20 years, but no more. Notice in verse 18 now, Judah came near to him and said, no, oh my Lord, please, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and don't let your anger burn against your servant for you're even like Pharaoh. 
My Lord asked his servant, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead. Oh. He knows why, too. And he alone is left of his mother's children. And you notice at the end, verse 20, and his father loves him. Same word used to describe his father's love for Joseph. There's a special fondness that he has. In verse 21, then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I might set my eyes on him. And we said to you, Lord, my, the lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you and, I, and you shall see my face no more. And so it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord that my father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we can't. If our youngest brother is, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Verse 27. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, surely he's torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father and the lad is not with us since his life is bound up in the, life, in the lad's life. It will happen that when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant our father with sorrow to his grave. Let me read it to you from the New Living I read this morning. Uh, listen to how the New Living translates verse 31. It says, if he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. He was still grieving. That's what the sorrow is. It's not just sadness. He's still grieving, living with it, describing it even here. He hasn't forgotten the son that was tore up. He's still believing the lie. Every time that came out, the brothers would remember they, they lied, they lied, they lied, they lied, they lied. You just have to harden your heart to that. When you don't confess your sin, you just have to harden your heart to the emotions of your dad. You have to harden your heart to the emotions of your husband. You have to harden your heart to people that are close to you because you haven't allowed the Spirit of God to do. That's, that what, that's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to harden your heart or stiffen your neck. And God is not going to allow that for long. 20 years, you throw away 20 years for what? It's going to come out. It needs to come out. It needs to come out to walk in the light, but it also needs to come out for you to be free. For you to be free. That's God's will for you. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. Freedom's taking place right now, you know. They're coming to terms with it, and freedom is starting to come out. They don't know it yet, but as they face the facts of the situation, just up ahead, they're going to experience some of the greatest freedom they haven't experienced for 20 years. All the while, you know, I, I find people hold on to things, hide things, uh, you know, don't tell the truth because, oh, no, you don't understand. It's going to be so hard. It's going to be so hard. Yeah, it may be so hard right before you get freedom. 
just before you get free. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Many, many believers, we certainly understand this with those that don't have a relationship with God. There's none of this working, no conviction. They just doesn't, it's hard heart already. But for believers, this is, so many believers are in bondage today because they've chosen to live a life of lies and in the shadows for whatever reason, self-protection, they were raised that way, whatever. And it's just bondage. It's not true freedom. And the church hurts for it. The church hurts for you, and it hurts because of you. But they think of, they, they watched their dad grieve for 20 years. They watched him carry this sorrow. He's like, no, 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 fine, it's enough. This is it, they've, they've hit their limit. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way, please, we're begging you. Again, in our context, what we have to think, please, the President of the United States, we are begging you on hands and knees in the Oval Office. You can't take our son, you can't take our brother. You don't understand. Remember, we talked to you about our dad, and you, we talked to you about our situation, and we had dinner with you, and you heard us, and you, you know, you can't take him. He's son. He loves him the same way the, the way he lost his other son. You can't do it. And there is great emotion here. This is not just some conversation, you know, at the, at the coffee, you know, in the kitchen or anything over a cup of coffee. Judah. He's truly stepped up to live out his name here as a praise to God. This is praiseworthy behavior. Well, notice with me in verse 30. Well, in verse 30 it says, Now therefore when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad's not with me, since his life is bound up, that when he sees the lad not with us, he'll die. Verse 32, For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I don't bring him back to you, then I'll bear the blame before my father, forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go to my father if the lad's not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? You look again at verse 30, you see that Jacob's heart is bound up in Benjamin. Benjamin was his last reminder of Rachel. Benjamin's eyes were Rachel's eyes, his smile, his life. Benjamin really took that place of Joseph in Jacob's life. And Judah here saying, I'll take his place. He's not working a deal, not trying to barter. He says, look, I, I, we will pay, our family will pay the price for this wicked situation, but let me pay the price. Let, let it be me. And no doubt Joseph, his heart's beating He's like, I can't, I can't believe this. He can't show anything yet, but it must be blowing him away. It's just to see it all and, and see it all come to pass before him. And in this church, Judah, Judah is in a way, he's behaving and acting in a way that pictures the coming of the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. He becomes a type of Jesus here. We know him seen how Joseph becomes a type of Jesus throughout his life. But here Judah becomes a type of Jesus in the very profound way that he offers himself a sacrifice on behalf of the innocent. Or from what they know, he offers himself a sacrifice on behalf of the guilty. 
They're pretty confident they didn't take it, but there's still a part where they don't know. He says, take me. I mean, if you're Joseph, don't you think this would be a pretty emotional time? I mean, if this is the time to wipe your brothers out and get revenge, here, this is it. It's completely set up. But somewhere along the way, church, he had to hand over this situation to God. Somewhere along the way. We aren't told exactly when. We see him nobly go through things. We see him face these difficulties. We see him endure. We're not given a lot of details on it. We just see it happen. But somewhere along the way, he had to hand this over to God. It's, it's like, because if he didn't, then the flesh would be very tempted today at this moment. But it's almost like, it's almost like you can hear the spirit in speaking to Joseph here, like saying something like, you know, Joseph, here they are one by one. I've convicted them of their sin and their hearts are like yours. They love their dad and they love his favorite son. I mean, it would be like, but they didn't love me, God. What about me? And for the sake of our Bible study today and the fact that we live in the 21st century, this is, this is an opportunity where the Bible completely blows it out of the water, but an opportunity to be the victim. I'm the victim here. Don't you forget that. Don't you forget what you did to me. And don't you forget, don't you forget, don't for you forget. And so much of our world is conditioned to keep people on a victim status because it never really brings resolution. Truth be told, church, you ready? Truth be told, we're all victims of sin. <laughs> we're all living these dysfunctional, broken lives that are being mended and changed because we're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And yes, we walk through life with pain. And yes, we walk through life with problems. And yes, we walk through life being mistreated and, and hurt and harmed. And in this way, you could just think, man, this is it. Like in a moment of weakness, like they did this to me. They did this to me. They did this to me. And I deserve to do this back. And I, no, no, no. The Spirit of God said, no, no, no. You, you, you're thinking of them 20 years ago. It's like God saying, I want you to see them. Judah has changed. He's not bartering a deal. They've come to terms with Jacob is a dad that's going to love one of his kids more. They make allowances for his weaknesses. They love Benjamin. They love their Judah here. I no, don't, no, take me. I will pay his price. And I'm sure he sees them broken and humble and genuine, fearful. Whenever it happens, I do know this. I know this for us. You and I, this is how we need to be before the Lord every day. This is what we need to lay our lives down before him and humble ourselves in our situations. We need to ask for the agape love of Christ to overcome our fleshly responses to pain. We need to remember the true victim. The true victim is Jesus Christ, the only innocent man, God in human flesh, that paid a price for sins he never committed. 
for how he was treated as we had our time of communion this weekend and of course even among us tonight where we're remembering the body of Christ and his beating and we remember how he was falsely accused. We remember how the crown of thorns were placed upon him and twisted into his skull. And we remember how he was spat upon and open-handed uh, slapped and taken advantage of. And, and his clothes were torn and they played games around him and hung him on a Roman cross to die of asphyxiation, a horrible, torturous death. He's the victim, if you want to use that terminology, not me and not you, as painful as it is to live in this world. And if we're fighting for, and if we're always striving for, and we're always sticking up for ourselves, the Bible says that we need to be abased and brought low. In James 4.10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and what? He will lift you up. That's what we want. We don't want to lift ourselves up. We, we want God to lift us up. And I was reminded as I read that scripture of Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. As this big test comes upon his brothers, they pass it again. Rather than see Benjamin become a slave, they're willing to take his place. A type of Christ here. All the way back in Genesis in John 15, 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down, his, lay down one's life for his friends. And these brothers have come a long way as we end the chapter. That's what time and tests will do you too. You're gonna come a long way. The pain and the difficulty of what you're facing right now, you're gonna get through it. Moment by moment, step by step, day by day, as you abide in Christ and draw on his resources and not take things into your own hands. The solution for the situation is not that they change, but that you change. The Lord will deal with them. Yeah, but you understand, it's like, I can't do this for 20 years. We actually don't know what we can do. If truth be told, we can't do it for 20 seconds, let it go in 20 years. How do we get through 20 seconds? The presence and faithfulness of God. Seconds become minutes, minutes become hours, hours become days, days become weeks, months, years. And will you look back and you see a lifetime of God's faithfulness in your life? <laughs> We're not there yet. But for the life that we live, we can see God's hand in our lives. Times and tests will do that. Bring us to humility. Bring us to a place of desperation. A place where we're laying our lives down. Casting our cares upon him. And even though for 20 years their stubbornness and their selfishness caused much grief and pain, a final thought in chapter 44 is guard your relationships. They're very precious and fragile. Judah had already ruined his connection to dad. He lied, deceived, lived with it for 20 years. Be careful what you say especially to those that are close to you. If need be, go back. Restore, renew, seek to see God. Repent, apologize, express your sorrow. Make the needed changes for reconciliation, for connection. And let the Lord do that work inside of us to make things better day by day. 
I want to show you this. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5, and I want to close with this verse. You don't have to wait 20 years. You don't have to stew for 20 years. You don't have to like, be right with the Lord. Let, the Bible says if our ways please the Lord, he'll make even our enemies be at peace. So, man, be right with the Lord. You can be. Come back to basics. Return to your first love. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll draw your attention there to verse 18. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And Judah finally comes around. And that's what we pray for in those that we love. That's what we pray for in those that we're close to, that they would finally come around. And so as I close in prayer, I would just encourage you, join me, and maybe say a, say a name of someone. You don't have to say it out loud, but maybe in your mind, you can just pray for a name, pray for a person, pray for a situation that, Lord, just bring them around. It's been too long, just bring them around. And so, Lord, we do pray. I, I have a few uh, names uh, and faces in my mind right now, and I just pray, bring them along, Lord. And perhaps I'm even a name or a face in someone, Lord. You can bring me along. Reveal what's necessary, what's missing, what's lacking. That I might be in right relationship with you. I love the, your, my Lord God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and I love my neighbor. In these last days, God, that we're living I pray for a clarity and a strength supernaturally that you would use in our lives. And I thank you there is reconciliation in this room. I thank you there's testimonies of situations like Judah that it wasn't good years ago, but it's good now. And to that we rejoice and we're grateful. And for some it could just very well be that you are calling them to reconcile themselves to you. That's the message. Be reconciled to God. And as we're praying, I just want to give you that chance. If you need to be reconciled to God, your sins forgiven, that you could come to a place where you realize how far you've been from God and he's calling you back, that you, you need to be born again. You need new life in you. If that's you today, you'd say, Ed, I, I want to follow Jesus with my life. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. I want you to, I, I want you to come clean before God today. It's like, man, that, that's the issue in my life. I got a lot of little issues, a lot of big issues, but the issue in my life is I need to be right with God. Is there anyone here that would receive the forgiveness of their sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? I want to give you that chance, near and far. But of course, we're in a room right now, so you know it starts here with the people I can see with my own eyes. But God knows you if you're out online somewhere or on the radio, if you're in New Jersey or Wyoming or you're in a kitchen somewhere in Florida. God knows, and he's calling you to himself today. This is it. This is the moment. You know, as a pastor, as we're waiting, you know, this also is also a good time. I could always do a rededication call because I know the Holy Spirit uses greatly, but I'm not going to do that. You know who you are. Just take it to the Lord. He loves you so much.
You don't need to stand. You don't need to acknowledge. You don't need to wave. You don't don't need to do any of that. He loves you. He's called you to himself. He's invited you to come. You can just come right there. You don't, just give it to him. You don't need to wait 20 years. You don't need to stew in it. You don't need to harden your heart. You don't need to make excuses. You don't know the Lord's ready. He's ready. He's ready. And you know, so are you. And just hand it over to him. Lay your life down so your genuineness of your faith. I know it's hard. Somebody's doing it to you. Something happened. I know. But it's happening right now. I know. I don't know yours, but I know mine. But it really doesn't matter if you know yours and I know mine. You know what it matters? Do you know God? He's so faithful. So reliable. So perhaps you didn't stand today, you didn't stand up. I don't even know if I invited you. So if you're ready to receive the Lord, you can stand. Why don't you do that? Maybe I didn't say that. Maybe I did. You can stand right here. But even if you don't, you can ask God to forgive you. You can confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And even this resistance and things with standing or whatever, acknowledging, it's just a revealing of your heart. It's just the, it's just what's, this is part of the problem. You're not ready to give up. And we don't not like you for that or we're not mad at you for that. You know the emotion in our lives right now when we see the word go out and you know the Lord's working but you don't see any visible response. You know what the, the number one emotion is, I think in the room is? Sadness. Because you just know the Lord's working. <laughs> you just know. You can feel it. You go, but I don't feel anything. Oh, no, you do. That's why you're resisting, pressing in. But God has great plans for you. You're so close. You can just pray to God. You can say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. And he rose again from the dead. So I can live for him. I'm asking you to help me, God, live my life for you. Father, I know that, you know, we're not being born again and born again and born again, but sometimes when I'm hearing this, I'm like, yeah, Lord, I just want to follow you. We want to forsake our sin. And we want newness of life. So I just pray that over our church. I pray that over those connected to us, that we would not, Lord, just let it come through, like, like not press in, Lord. Help us to press in. I pray for the wives that aren't here tonight. I pray for the husbands that are not here tonight. I pray for the kids. Am I, like, God, you are working a work in these days, and we just want to be a part of it. Bless your church. Bless your people. And as we sing, let it just be uh, filling our hearts with joy and adoration of who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.